to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today on the Unicorns, we're featuring Peter Petroulis, an award-winning and very well-known restaurateur. He is the founder and CEO of what's being described as a world-first intelligent restaurant booking system. It's known as Wiz Butler. Wiz Butler is a game changer for the restaurant industry. Its never-been-done-before technology solution manages restaurant space instead of a fixed number of restaurant tables. The algorithm not only dynamically relocates tables in real time, it also dynamically relocates every booking to optimize space and bookings on a dining floor, creating so-called dancing tables. The technology is so revolutionary that it can easily and autonomously take 50% more bookings online in real time during a busy service than any other booking system. The technology's patent was recently valued at 275 million Australian dollars. To tell us more about Wiz Butler and how it started, I'm very pleased to say that Peter Petroulis joins us now. G'day, Peter. Welcome to the program. Hi, Justin. Uh, firstly, thank you for the opportunity um, and the very kind introduction to your podcast and to talk to uh, your listeners. Well, it's my absolute pleasure. Now, I know you've been in the restaurant game for a long time, and I'm certain that um, dining booking space is often a big pain point for restaurant owners, cafe owners, uh, everyone in between. So where did the idea first come from for Wiz Butler? I opened my first restaurant in 2002. And between the period 2002 to 2010, restaurants were operating pretty much the way they've always operated for the last 100 years, um, where a customer and a restaurant always interacted face-to-face together or on the telephone. On the phone, yeah. Always contact between the customer and the restaurant. Then in about 2010, what started occurring was the online booking system started proliferating and taking over as sort of a middle uh, way between a customer and the restaurant. So Mm -hmm. you started getting a situation where there was a a disconnect and a disjoint between the customer and the restaurant. It started becoming more impersonal. Yes. The original systems were very clunky and not easy to understand. So that's where it sort of started from, Um, I guess, from the customer perspective, from the restaurant side, they were clunky. Um, They certainly didn't help a restaurant and the algorithms were sort of used, were so inefficient, um, it was obviously uh, costing a restaurant a lot of money. So as someone who has been on the front line trying to manage bookings and then obviously things change to an online system, um, what, what are some of the flaws in the existing technology that you can identify? I guess the, prior to me, there were a lot of people who identify the problems. Um, MIT and Cornell universities um, came up with original uh, problems where they sort of highlighted that if you have a booking request for two people and mm. there's 10 tables of, of two available, 
and you're using a search algorithm, which they all do, which of those 10 tables do you actually allocate that booking to? Um, a search algorithm certainly doesn't know how to do that. And more mm. so, you know, whatever table it does pick, which is really at random, um, is going to be incorrect because it doesn't even know what the next booking or the next booking uh, request may be in the future. So in that sense, are you saying that those restaurants that are currently using other tech solutions are potentially missing out on a large chunk of uh, foot traffic, uh, punters coming through the door because the, the system taps out when it's, what, 50% full, 60% full, that sort of thing? That's exactly what it does because when you start allocating bookings at random, um, even if you use some sort of logic, it still is technically at random because you don't know what future booking requests are. Mm. And with such an allocation process, you end up getting empty tables trapped between allocated tables, which I call booking um, or allocation fragmentation. And mm. then you're 100% correct when a restaurant gets to 60 65% full, unless it's a perfect match with the table, it starts rejecting bookings. And through our system, what we find is we can easily take 50% more bookings um, than any other system online and in real time. Well, let's get into the detail because I'm very keen to understand how Wiz Butler works and how it is different to what else is on the market. So maybe um, start at the beginning and tell us um, from from go to woe, Peter, if you can, how Wiz Butler works. Okay, if I start with the existing booking systems, for them to work, a restaurant needs to go in and populate and create a pool of uh, what they call tables and table combinations, and table combinations being those tables that you can actually put together to form a larger table. Hmm. Now, when you start with a pool of those tables and table combinations, firstly, it's fixed. It can't change. Um, yes. And we all know if you push, for example, three tables together, two together to create a table of six, well, then, you know, the gaps that were between those tables sort of get pushed to one side. And in theory, you could bring in an extra table if you wanted to to take an extra booking. Um, the existing booking systems will obviously miss out on that opportunity. Um, because they're just focusing on on tables and um, table uh, table combinations. With mm-hmm. our system, uh, we've completely abandoned the concept of tables and table combinations because you shouldn't be trying to be you shouldn't be trying to maximise tables and table combinations. What you should be trying to do is maximise your floor space because it's the floor space that determines how many tables you can put in there. Um, that's a floor space that determines if you have large bookings, then obviously you can get more people in there than if you have um, smaller party size bookings because you need mm. between the tables. Um, our system is the only system that then manages that floor space and hence determines the right number of tables that you should have on the floor space for the booking request you've received. Right. Okay. So in, in many ways, you completely like ripped up the existing booking systems and the way they operated and you've, you've created something from scratch that turns all of that on its head. Absolutely. That was the only way to do it because for 20 years, people have been trying to improve what OpenTable did in 1998 without success. And it was only by turning it on its head and looking at it completely different. And I guess if I can put it in another way, in a realistic way, because mm. now we've turned around, instead of looking at, if I can call the old systems as a two-dimensional allocation system, because yes. you're dealing with tables and table combinations, I turned it into a 3D 
allocation system. And the 3D allocation system, in theory, has a lot more variables than a 2D allocation system. And in the past, no one sort of went down that path because it just had more, more variables and more permutations. But then I guess when I went down that path and explored it, I actually found by doing it in a different way, you could actually do it with fewer variables um, rather than, than more variables that the, the arbitrary two, uh, two-dimensional system had. Is it a lot like I know um, some of the best mathematicians in the world have tried to figure out the best way to get passengers on an aircraft, whether it's all via the front, whether it's half the front, half the back, <laughs> and everything in between. Is that the sort of science that you tried to use, get a little bit creative when coming up with this solution? I approached it completely differently um, because when you start doing it as a logical mathematical problem, you start yes. looking at all the possible permutations. When you start looking at all the possible permutations, then you, your algorithm has to consider a lot of options which are illogical. Once you start doing that, then yeah. your mathematical algorithm, you know, just takes too long to give you a solution. So mm. we've taken a different approach where the algorithm only looks at logical outcomes or possible mm. outcomes. Mm. As such, that's completely condensed the uh, amount of time required for that calculation. Um, hence, ours is the only system that can online and in real time, when the allocation process occurs, actually unallocate all previous bookings, add it together to the last booking to then have full information and know how to reallocate those bookings to optimise the space. And so tell me how that works. So, for example, if, if it's a table for two that has, made, that has made a booking for a Saturday night service, they might originally start off in position A, for want of a better expression, but another booking comes in after that two hours later and all of a sudden that table for two, they're now on the opposite side of the room in position B and then there's another booking which comes in a booking for six and then all of a sudden they're in a, they're in another position is that have I explained it properly like that is that that the dynamic nature of the booking system that is 100% correct um, and that's the only way you can always ensure that what you're doing is guaranteeing that the last received booking request can be allocated um, once received by mm. completely rearranging your floor space. Uh, I think I need to give you one caution though. What all our current restaurant customers do and what the system allows is if you're completely continually playing these musical chairs during a service period, then obviously that would make the staff completely dizzy. <laughs> That'd be crazy, yes. Um, and create chaos in the restaurant. So yes. what we actually do is we allow the restaurant so at the time of choosing, and let's say it's one hour before service, um, where you pretty much know everything that's going to happen during that service, other than obviously walk-in customers, um, we actually lock the tables in at that point. Right, and okay. And any new book bookings after that point then get slotted um, and tables with whatever's left. With what's ever left. That also gives the restaurant the opportunity to, A, see how to set up uh, the tables within the restaurant space because we, uh, we provide them with a... The floor plan to scale so they can see where to place the tables. It also allows the restaurant manager to then brief their staff as to who's sitting on what table and what they require, mm. what their nor normal needs are or whatever. 
um, without then, you know, getting into that confusion of the, the person that they've been uh, briefed on will be on table one is now on table seven. Yes. And so how does it work if, um, you know, it's anniversary night and a table for two really wants the window seat, but then it's all upended and they've they've moved elsewhere because of the dynamic nature of Wiz Butler. So can you explain how um, the system allows for that? What we've done, um, and I guess it's partly because of my background in aviation, where I sort of understand uh, yield management and, uh, you know, people's desire and requirement to, to yes. be in control of their evening, you know, their experience, you know, uh, the process. Um, we allow restaurants to configure the system such that they can, if they wanted to, um, allow a customer to say, okay, you know, if you select the three-course menu, we'll give you a window table. If you select the one-course menu, we'll give you the best available table. Or alternatively, mm. if you want a guarantee of a, a window uh, table with, with a beautiful view, then, you know, maybe it's an extra $10 per head or it's an extra 10% on top of your bill. Um, and then you have that flexibility to control and the algorithm will take that into account and keep you in that in that table without moving you through that dynamic process. So when a customer or a restaurant comes on board with Wiz Butler, what is required um, from you to onboard them? Do you have to go and measure the space and work out what's possible? What what give us a give us an idea of how that works? Yeah, well, again, you're 100 percent correct. Um, what because we're trying to manage floor space. Um, and the use of that floor space, we start off with requiring to input into the system the identical floor plan to scale. So we yes. need to know all the dimensions. We need to know all the dimensions of the different tables um, that they use. Um, then we go through an interview process with the restaurant manager or, or the appropriate person where we see how they would go through and allocate bookings so rather than the algorithm doing what the algorithm thinks, what we do is we input the, the knowledge of, of the restaurant manager into the system. So therefore, when the algorithm is making the allocations, it's doing it as if it is the restaurant manager. So then the restaurant manager doesn't get a surprise. The restaurant manager doesn't say, you know, why is the system doing this when, you know, I like to operate my restaurant in a particular, particular, different, particular different way. And is the tech solution agnostic in the sense that whether it's a table for two or four or six or 12, um, it doesn't matter. It, it will find the best space within the restaurant for that particular group. Correct. So if it's a table of 10 that wants a window view, then it'll take that into account. If it's a table two that wants a window view, that'll take that into account as well. So it is agnostic from that perspective. And again, I guess the other thing that, and it's a feature I developed um, back actually in 2015, um, we actually allow a customer when they're making their booking to completely personalise uh, their evening. So if they wanted to, you know, and it happens to be um, a person's anniversary, as they're making the booking, they can actually ask for some flowers to be on the table when they arrive, or they can yes. ask for, for um, you know, a nice bucket with a bottle of champagne in it when they arrive. So when they get to the restaurant, it's not one of these things where they're seated and the, the wait staff go to them, would you like a drink? It's mm. one of these things, thank you for coming and sharing your anniversary, let me open your bottle of champagne. It's a completely mm. different way of focusing 
you know, and enhancing that customer experience. And in your experience, Peter, has your technology allowed existing restaurant staff to be freed up from the burden of whether it's, you know, managing the phone during service to otherwise concentrate on the punters that are actually there in the restaurant looking for a nice experience. Uh, that's exactly right. Research has been done and studies have been undertaken and what's come out is at least 90% of people actually go to a restaurant's website to see their menu and see the environment and, you know, make sure... It's true. It's true. Yes. <laughs> is okay before they get there. And it's also been shown that 52% of people already know what they're going to have or what they're going to order before they get to get to the restaurant. Hmm. So therefore, yes, it allows all of these mechanical things to sort of be done beforehand or to be uh, simplified. And the wait staff to now elevate the experience um, that the people are going to have during their dining duration. And so what's the reaction been? I know it's only been reasonably early days for Wiz Butler, but it is in place, as I understand it, across um, uh, venues uh, in New South Wales and Victoria and other parts. So what, what's the reaction been from the restaurant industry to what you've created? Well, I guess two things. Firstly, um, it allows them to reduce their staff costs um, and get their staff, which are very hard to find um, even today, even though COVID sort of uh, moved on, um, on customer service and customer attention rather than mechanical things, um, uh, as well as obviously increasing their revenue because we, we can generate more customers um, than the other booking systems. The other interesting things from a customer perspective is, you know, um, one particular restaurant allows customers to extend their uh, dining duration. So now that a lot of people have uh, implemented a system where they have two seating periods, one between six and eight, mm -hmm. and eight and ten, now, again, if it happens to be a special occasion, uh, anniversary uh, or anything else, then what are you doing? You're sort of going... Um, having starting your meal at six o'clock, at eight o'clock. Sorry to say this, but uh, people get uh, kicked out. And then once you get <laughs> they, kicked out, they o'clock, do. That's right. Um, what do you do? You know, do you hop into Uber and go to another venue and you know spend more money there? Um, and then uh, what's happened is then the restaurant has to generate another customer and come through mm. that process again. I guess from our own experience, um, and this is what one restaurant has applied is if your average turnover per person is $100, um, if you take, in a, take away food costs, take away the extra staff you need to, you know, clear the table, reset the table, um, wash up and, and all of those things, a restaurant is not left with, with $30 um, yes. as a margin. So then all of a sudden, um, if you take the application, that you can tell a person, okay, you can arrive at the restaurant, not at six o'clock, but any time you like, which may be seven o'clock. And we're not going to kick you out at eight o'clock. You can stay till nine o'clock or 10 o'clock or when you feel comfortable leaving. So you don't have to run off to another venue, you, you know, split your evening in two or do anything else. The restaurant doesn't have to look for another customer. Um, and then they can offer, offer that customer far better service. And, and it's a far better outcome, really. It's a far better experience for the diner, isn't it? 
It, it is for the for the diner, and it also is for the restaurant because they're not now looking for more staff, they're not looking for more customers, and they can um, enhance that experience. So in terms of the potential um, bottom line, you mentioned margin before for restaurants. Is it the case that if they had this tech, it can, over time, materially benefit the profitability of a restaurant if they're using your system? I think it can actually do it quite quickly. It doesn't really need to wait to, for an over the uh, overtime period. The reason I say that is if it's a Saturday night, and the restaurant already has uh, a good reputation and good custom, then the system will automatically take these these additional bookings where existing systems would have rejected them. For that service, and I guess, you know, if you're talking about your busy services, maybe it's Friday and Saturday night, um, and, you know, on Monday, well, to, to be fair, if you're quiet, then any booking system can, can do whatever you like. Yes, What yes. we found is on our busy services, our system generates... Um, you know, 50% more customers online in real time, then if you spread that out over the week, it actually works out to about 10, 15% additional revenue over the week for a restaurant, which obviously Mm. then goes straight to the bottom line. So how would you answer some people in the in the restaurant industry that might say hey listen we've already got a restaurant booking system whatever it is there's a there are a few on the market we actually don't need something like this you know we're 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 okay we don't need another system or you know a replacement how would you answer that peter i think the, the process is exactly the same as if you go back to you know when the iphone came out um okay i appreciate there's some diehard apple um, fans and followers out there on any product they put out, they, they yes. will automatically adopt. But yeah. I remember when the the first iPhone came out, there was this thing, oh, but, you know, my Nokia and my cell coverage is better than the iPhone. You know, my voice clarity is better than the iPhone. Um, so, therefore, I'm going to stick with this. Um, you had the same thing with the BlackBerry because, you know, that had more secure emails. It sort of mm-hmm. had this sort of race keyboard that people were used to. Um, so the question is, you know, don't look at features because if you start looking at features, like we said, you know, whether it's a voice um, or email versus to what the first iPhone had, which, you know, didn't have the, the, the right coverage or whatever, yep. is look at the framework that the system is offering you. And is that framework a solution for the future? Because if that framework is a solution for the future, then you should not be spending any money with your current technology and integrate, integrating your booking system with you know, your ordering system, with your point of sale system, because all you're doing is pouring good money after bad money. And I think that's the difference with our technology, that our technology gives you that framework for the future, just like the iPhone did, because, you know, it gave you internet contact uh, connectivity. It also gave you um, the app store and the ability to, to do many other things that, you know, a cell phone or, or a BlackBerry couldn't do. So I know you've been working on this behind the scenes for a long time now. I'm keen to know more about the patent application and uh, what was found as a result of you going through that process and the and the valuation. Can you explain to our listeners the progress there? I guess I started the process back in about 2015 um, and I'd sort of put it off a few years because I'd heard that Apple 
um, had lodged their patent application for their own booking, ordering restaurant management system. And they were looking to um, get restaurants on Apple Maps. And then from Apple Maps, they could use uh-huh. Apple Ordering. Yep. And then from Apple Ordering, they could use Apple Pay and go through that whole, whole process. So I sort of pulled back and I said, you know, who am I to compete with, um, you know, the, the skill level and uh, resources of Apple? Yeah. And a few years later, nothing had happened. Um, so I sort of said, oh, well, maybe I should uh, kick it off again. Um, Worth a crack, yeah. Because nothing had come out of Apple, um, even though they had lodged that patent application, which now I know has since sort of uh, lapsed. With, um, I guess, what I did... I had these problems because the disjoint between what was happening with the customer and the restaurant and also mm. the, the poor allocation. It took me just over a year to um, write the patent document. The patent document is uh, about 250 pages. Um, then I lodged it in uh, October 2017. So that was five years ago. Mm. Then as you go through the process of um, the patent office examining the, the, the documentation to see whether you are genuinely original, novel, you know, haven't been done before, you're inventive, that if you've got a group of uh, experts in an area with all the available documentation, they couldn't come up with your idea, um, then they start a process where they take the document, sort of do searches on keywords through Google, through university publications, through other patent uh, documents, mm-hmm. and then... They'll, they'll find documents that have those keywords, they package them up, send them to you and say, sorry, all of these uh, documents preceded you. So then you've yep. got to start the process of reading all of these docu- documents, saying, okay, yes, they've got the keyword here, but they're using it in this context, we use it in that context, they're completely different. And you sort of go through that process and hopefully you try to weed down that uh, big list into a smaller list. Um, and again, with every reply you give them, then there's another keyword that comes up, then they start another search again, then you start back because, you know, you've answered one document and they potentially come back with five new ones. <laughs> it sounds like a nightmare. So, yes, so then you've gone through that process and then so obviously that, process, that yes. Which, you've taken, which has sort of taken the, um, the bulk of that period. So at least you, with patent offices in the United States, the International Patent Office, even with the patent office here in Australia, They've come back and said, yes, what you've done is new, novel, inventive. Um, No one else has thought about this in the past. So uh, the US Patent Office was, I guess, first off the mark, but also then said that what you have also done is patentable subject matter, and hence we can give you the patent. Um, With the Australian Patent Office, we're now just going through the process of uh, seeing whether they agree that what we have done is patentable subject matter. If it is, then mm. we will get an Australian patent as well. So, the patent and that evaluation, yes, um, is, in my, I sorry. mentioned in my introduction is uh, around circa two seventy five AUD million dollars. You, were you expecting something like that? Were you, did the blow your ears off when you heard that news? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, I don't want to sound the, um, arrogant or for it to come across the wrong way, but what mm-hmm. we have done is completely different. Um, what we have done is something that allows the restaurant, as I said, um, to easily increase the, say, weekly revenue by 15%. 
Um, and that is before you start looking at personalization and yield management and uh, offering a completely different experience to, to mm. the customer. Um, and when you look at the scale of these and the size of the hospitality industry, it's ginormous. Um, mm. And the valuations that other booking companies have in that space uh, make the 275 million, although it's a, it's a huge, huge number. Um, pale into complete insignificance. Just to give an example, Open Table uh, back in 2014 was sold to Booking Hot, uh, Holdings for 2.6 billion US dollars. Mm. You know, so mm. from that perspective, you know, our technology, which has the ability to completely uh, re- disrupt and revolutionise the, the industry, is not even 10% of that number. So in terms of next steps for Wiz Butler, I know you've been having some interesting discussions with some some big names. What can you tell us about the future of, of Wiz Butler and where you're headed and what you're planning to do with it? Our initial focus is really to grow the business and get traction in, um, in the marketplace. And that's where we see our, our biggest value. I mean, I've started this journey to make a difference um, to, to, I guess, my life back previously as a restaurateur and to other restaurants, and we still want to complete that journey. Um, so that's our complete focus at the moment. So the next step would obviously be to go out there um, and show venture capital companies or other investors why this technology um, is what it is and how how it works and why it does work, um, get them on board so we can scale the process. Well, we wish you well, Peter. It's, uh, it's an amazing thing you've created and one that I think is really going to take off in the years ahead. Remember the name, folks, Wiz Butler, W-I-Z Butler, uh, a name to watch and a name to follow. Peter, thanks so much for coming onto the show. We wish you well, and we wish you all the very best in the future, and good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Justin.